The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient history. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. alcohol for a moment because this causes a lot of problems in society today as well. You know, alcohol is uh, one of those things that we see is acceptable in society. The sporting world really makes a big thing of this, don't they? You know, alcohol causes red blood cells to clump together. And of course, this makes it very difficult and impossible for red blood cells to pass through the tiniest blood vessels or the capillaries in our brain, in our heart, and so on. So alcohol does that. It makes the red blood cells clump together. Now, I want you to notice this by Dr. Melvin Kingsley talking about alcohol. He said, alcohol cuts off blood to the brain, killing cells with just one drink. Just one drink kills brain cells. That's a serious problem, isn't it? One drink will kill brain cells, says Dr. Melvin Kimmery from the University of Southern California. Now, research also shows, of course, that alcohol affects the forebrain. This part of the brain, especially which has to do with conscience, with reason, and with judgment, which is why when people are under the influence of alcohol, they do things they would never normally do because it affects this part of the brain and affects our reason and conscience and judgment. Which is why the Bible says these words. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, wrote these words in Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. We don't want to be unwise as people living in a time when there is a great war going on. We need to be in control. Solomon goes on to say these words. Do not look on the wine when it is red. When it sparkles in the cup, he says. In other words, when it's alcoholic, when it swirls around smoothly, at the last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper, he said. In fact, he goes on and says, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. In other words, alcoholic wine is not a smart thing to do, says Solomon. It can affect us in ways that we wish we hadn't, so that we wish we hadn't taken it. You know, We know today that two out of every five drinkers has a serious drinking problem. The problem with this is we don't know if we're going to be the two out of the five. But for every five people that start on drink, two of them will have a serious drinking problem. That's 40%. It's like taking a gun with five uh, uh, barrels in it and we put two bullets in five of uh, two two bullets in five of those chambers and then we spin the barrel and we pass the gun around now would you play that game i sure wouldn't play it my luck would be that i'd blow my brains out the first one when i got hold of the gun you know that's a tremendously high risk but this is what happens it's going to affect our families it's going to affect our health two out of every five people are affected and have a serious drinking problem We know that statistically. Now, someone says, and it's a good question, but didn't Jesus make wine? Didn't he turn water to wine? Yes, he surely did. But what we have to understand from the Bible is this, that the same word for alcoholic wine and grape juice is used in the Bible. 
The same word is used for both just grape juice and that which is alcoholic. It's the context that tells us what sort of wine it is. Is it grape juice or is it alcoholic? You will notice, for example, here, the Bible uses the idea of new wine. This is talking about grape juice here, but it uses the word wine. As the new wine is found in the cluster, in other words, in the bunch of grapes, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. Now, when Jesus went to the cross and they offered him wine, which was clearly alcoholic on that occasion, he refused to take it. Why did Jesus refuse? He wanted to have his mind in gear. He was in a battle with the enemy of our souls and he did not want to be subject and let his mind be, 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 be uh, out of control or lessened in capacity for one second. He wanted to be able to defeat the devil. Now, do you think that the Jesus who refused wine on the cross is going to make enough wine to get a village drunk, turn water into alcoholic wine. How we know that is not the case, because this is Jesus. Not only that, who was the one who's told Solomon, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and so on, and, and, and don't be deceived by this thing and don't be unwise. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to say one thing and then make enough wine to make a whole village drunk. No, the same Jesus who refused alcohol on that occasion made grape juice for the people at that feast of the, Jew, of the, of the wedding feast. Now, some of us like Shakespeare and some of us can't stand Shakespeare, but Shakespeare sure got this one right. He said, oh God, that men should put an enemy in their mouths to steal away their brains. And that's the truth, isn't it? We've seen that many times and uh, many people in prison today because they made a wrong choice in life to get on board and start taking alcohol. They didn't know that they would be two out of the every five people and their lives ended in tragedy and so did some of their family members. A father was, an, was a drinker and he said to his boy, he used to say to him every day, boy, don't drink beer, it's, a, it's, 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 it's not good for you. And he stashed this in his refrigerator. Boy, don't drink beer, but he drank it. Well, of course, the kid helped himself to his dad's beer when he wasn't looking. And one day he took too much and killed himself through a car accident. And the father realized that the real, the real situation was it was his fault. You know, if we will not look after our body from the perspective of alcohol for ourselves, think of the influence we are having on others. People, young people especially coming up behind us as they see our example. It's a very important thing. The Bible talks about the importance of being an example to other people. What a tragedy that he lost his life because of his father's example. Now, let me tell you, there's a tremendous promise for those of us maybe who we have this problem. I can do all things through Christ, said Paul, who strengthens me. In fact, I like the way this translation puts it. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him, it says there. Notice what else he says. Who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency, meaning because of Christ is in me, I'm sufficient for these things, and that's the truth. So I don't know if that's your problem, but I do know one thing. God can help you overcome this problem. He, you are, can be more than a conqueror through him who loves us. All right, well, what about some other things that Moses also wrote? Moses wrote about Paul and Solomon 
wrote about some of these things on alcohol. Solomon wrote on those things. What about nutrition? What about the sort of food we eat? Does the Bible say anything about diet? That helps us. Yes, it surely does. And we can see today how wise we would be to follow its instructions. Moses' dietary principles he shared in his books. Notice the first one was this. He noticed that plant food, he mentioned that plant-based diet was the best for optimal health. How do we know that? Because when we go to the book of Genesis and we read the first chapter, we notice that before sin, before man did anything wrong, God gave man a diet. And I want you to notice the diet God gave. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, he says, in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for food. Now, obviously, man didn't eat flesh in those early days because there was no death. There was no killing. There was no nothing like that. And here was the diet God gave man originally. And it's a pretty good diet. The elephant is a plant based, has a plant based diet. And he's pretty good. Some people think you have to have that sort of stuff to be strong. No, you don't. God gave man the original diet. And this is the optimal diet for optimal health. If we follow that principle. Now, the second thing God also mentioned in the writings of Moses was this, avoid animal fat. And we know the problems with animal fat today, but that's written in this book so long ago. Notice what the Bible says way back in the book of Leviticus. Moses wrote these words, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, you shall eat no manner of fat of ox or of sheep or of goat. And we know the problems that this causes today. The third principle was this. God said, you can eat clean animals. As time went on, God allowed man to eat flesh as time went on. But he said, only eat the clean animals. Don't eat the ones that are unclean. Notice what the Bible says about this. Now, perhaps before we go there, let me come back to the time of Noah. These principles that Moses, uh, we're going to talk about from Moses, were given long before Jewish people ever came here. Noah was given these principles, and he's not a Jew. The Jews came from Abraham, and Noah is a long time before Abraham, but yet he was given these principles. Notice when Noah went into the boat, what God told Noah. Here we have it here from the book of Genesis. You shall take, God said, with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, Two each of animals, he says, that are unclean, a male and his female. Now, if God had wanted man to eat the unclean ones, you can see the problem that would have happened here. Mrs. Noah goes and get one of those unclean animals and cooks it up. What would have happened to the species? Noah would have said to his wife, hey, sweetheart, you just ruined the species. There's none left to keep this species going. You just ruined it. Clearly, God had some to eat and some not to eat. The ones that were the seven are called the the clean ones because God allowed man to eat these ones, as we see a little later on in Moses' writings. Now, what's the difference between a clean animal and an unclean animal? Moses tells us here. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Sorry, You may eat every animal with cloven hoofs, having the hoofs split into two parts, and that choose the cud among the animals. So God said, these are the ones you can eat. If you're going to eat flesh, then these are the ones I will allow you to eat. These are the clean animals. In other words, the ones that have a split hoof and chew the cud. Those are things like the cows and uh, the sheep 
and the deers and the goats and so on. These are the animals that have a split hoof and that chew the cud. God said, you can eat those ones, but don't eat their fat, God said. Dangerous for us. We know the problems it causes to our arteries and so on. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud, God said, or have a cloven hoof, you shall not eat such as these. He said, the camel. Don't eat the camel or the rabbit or the hare, that is, the rock hyrax. He said, for they, these animals, he said, they chew the cud, but they do not have a cloven hoof. They are unclean for you. Unless they do both, unless they chew the cud and have a cloven hoof, don't eat them. They're not clean for you. They're not going to be helpful for you, said God. So what are these unclean animals? Well, animals like the old kangaroo and the rabbit and, of course, the camel that he actually mentioned because these animals don't do both of those things. They are not the best. Now, when you look at the instructions God gave, you will discover that generally these animals that God said don't eat, generally they contain more parasites in their flesh. Not all of but many of them contain parasites to a greater degree than others. Now, God also especially signaled out one animal in particular, and that was the old pig. I want you to notice what God said about the pig. Also the swine. It is unclean for you because it has a cloven hoof, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh, God said, because it's not going to be good for you. It won't really help you. Now, you think about the old pig for a moment. We know today that it's one of the most unclean animals on the planet i mean when i was a kid we lived on a major up the road from a major road that ran to the abattoir we never could smell the sheep truck or the cow truck but we knew when the pig truck went by we always knew that from our house because the smell was around us he is a very dirty animal the way that he eats and so on but not only that we know the results of the habits of this animal the way it and what it eats and so on Number one, it has the highest fat content. Probably one of the reasons God said, don't eat this animal. It's very high fat content. Not only that, we also know that it has the highest cholesterol, one of the highest cholesterol sources among meats. And so this is why one of the reasons God said, hey, don't eat that. The, the Israelites didn't understand about the cholesterol and so, but God told them, this is the clean ones. These are the unclean ones. They didn't understand why. They just needed to do what God told them to do. So here is the old pork. Not only that, uh, regarding its fat and so on, but I want you to notice what else the Bible says. One in every four, not the Bible, sorry, science. One in every four specimens has living trichana larvae in it. Think about it, one in four. It's very hard to kill those parasites even from strong cooking. You have to really cook it. But one in four Pork specimens has those living trichana larvae and they infect our body. Those parasites can cause a lot of damage inside our body system. Now, I want you to notice this. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, when we read some of these things, if you're like me, you think, boy, God's taking away all the goodies out of life. But no, he's not. God would never tell us to do anything or stop doing anything or stop eating something unless he knew it was good for us. That's a great promise, my friend, this afternoon. Sometimes we have to educate our stomachs because God knows what's best for us. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Because you see, what 
walks tomorrow, we eat today. What we eat today is going to walk and talk tomorrow. If we eat good things, it's going to help our bodies to be good. If we eat rubbish, that's what we're going to get because our bodies are made up of the things that we take into our systems and so on. And uh, thank God that he mentioned these things for us. Now, sadly, even the Jewish people, even the Israelites, just like with the Sabbath, they discarded that. They also discarded these principles. They turned their back on them and they rebelled against God on many occasions. And I want you to notice one of them just before they were taken off to ancient Babylon and so on. For behold, the Lord, says Isaiah, this is before the Assyrians took over them. Behold, the Lord will come with fire and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens. You see, they worship Baal and the groves up on the mountainsides and so on. Those who purify themselves to go to the gardens. In other words, to worship Baal and so on. After an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh, God particularly said, and the abomination and the mouse. They were even eating mice, would you believe? Clearly unclean food. These shall, they shall be consumed, says God, shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Now, God is not talking about people who didn't understand they were ignorant. He's talking about people who knew and said, I'll do it my way. There was a rebellious attitude. That's what God is talking about. Because Israel knew these principles that God had given them, but they refused to put them into practice. God said, that's rebellion, and that's what's going to happen if you keep it up. Now, what about the seafood? What about the animals that swim in the oceans and the rivers and so on? What does God have to say about that? This, God says these words. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, God says, you shall not eat it. It's unclean to you. So what are the things that have fins and scales? Well, there are many fish we can eat. Anything that's got fins and scales, you and I can eat it if we're going to eat fish from the from the rivers and the ocean. But if it's got not got fins and scales, it's unclean, says God. Lots of things we can eat, but there's a lot of things we can't. When my parents read that from the Bible, they loved crayfish and crabs. They were really big into that. And I can remember my mum saying, she said, oh, no, God has taken everything good out of our life. <laughs> but they decided, no, we must follow the word of God. God hasn't put these things for fun. Whatever he's put there is for our good. So they said, stomach, you're going to get used to this. And our stomachs do get used to it. We can train our taste buds so that we can like and enjoy that, which is much more wholesome for us. You notice, I notice uh, on the... Prevention magazine talked about shellfish and so on. I want you to notice what they said here. Shellfish are dirty and dangerous. I remember oftentimes when we were living up around the, up, up around Newcastle some years ago, that oftentimes food poisoning would be traced to the shellfish and so on that people had been ingesting. Pretty risky. God says, no, don't eat those. Unless it's got fins and scales, don't eat it. Dr. Bruce Halstead was a marine biologist during the Second World War, and the United States Navy asked him to find out what sort of diet should downed airmen or sailors take on board if they happen to be shot down there, adrift on a, on a, on a life raft or on a, marooned on an island or something. What should they eat? When Dr. Bruce Halstead came up with his, his, uh, his, his, his food Ideas for these sort of people, you know what he, what he was? It was almost the same as we have in the Bible because God knew what was best for us and there were things without fins and scale, with fins and scales and so on. The same principles as in the Bible pretty well. 
God says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever we do, do it to the glory of God. And that's what Paul was saying. Glorify God in your body. That's what really John's first angel was saying. Give glory to him. How do we give glory to him? By the way we treat our bodies, which are made in the very image of God. Now, let me tell you this afternoon that these Bible principles work. I'm going to share with you the results of some lifestyle studies that have been done by scientists for the last 20, 30 years now almost. These studies have been going on for many years among a group of people living in California. Now, these studies have been reported uh, in journals and on television shows. These are what they call the Adventist lifestyle studies. Now, this is not because these people happen to be Seventh-day Adventists, but it's because the Seventh-day Adventists believe that we should follow these principles. Anybody can have these same results if they follow these principles. And Seventh-day Adventists believe that these things are important because they're in God's Word. So I want you to notice the result of these studies as they've looked at Seventh-day Adventists in California and compared them to the population around them who don't follow these principles in general. For longevity, this is what the scientists have discovered. Adventist men live seven and a half years almost longer than other men. Women Adventist women live four and a half years almost longer than other women. What about for cancers? For all cancers in, as a whole, they discovered this, that Adventist men have a 60% lower death rate from all cancers than the average population where the study was done. For Adventist women, 76% lower death rate. What about when it comes to specific cancers, bowel cancer, 62% lower for Adventists than the normal population. And then we have breast cancer, it's 85% lower for Adventists than the other people around them. Coronary heart disease, let's notice this one, very significant here. For coronary heart disease, we notice Adventist men, they have a 60% lower incidence when it comes to coronary heart disease. And the women, 98% lower incidence of heart disease. These are, these are significantly, uh, statistically significant results, you see. Now, as I said, this is not because they happen to be Seventh-day Adventists, but because as Seventh-day Adventists, they follow these principles. Anybody can have those results if they follow these principles from the Bible. And what a wonderful thing is that God's given them. But I wanted you to see that so that you and I know these things actually work and science has found that to be the case. Now, what's the importance of caring for our body temple? There are three great reasons. Number one, caring for our bodies is actually a moral issue. Notice the way Paul put it when he wrote to his friends in Corinth. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. This is a moral issue because our body is the temple of the living God and God wants us to look after our own body temple. Not only that, you remember we read in Revelation that the cry from the angel was fear God and give glory to him. Now, why should we do that? Well, the angel explained that the reason we should glorify God is because what? The hour of his judgment has come. God is going to judge us on what we do with our body when we know what we should do with our bodies. This is a moral issue, which is why Paul said, if anyone defiles the temple of God, meaning when they understand and continues doing that, then God will take them into judgment. It's a serious matter. This is the love of God says John, that we keep his commandments. 
and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, God never gives a commandment, but it's for our good. He never asks us to do something that's not going to help us in the long run. Second reason for caring for our body is this. Caring for the body gives us better mental health to overcome the devil. This was seen in the life of Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus was in hand-to-hand combat with Satan. And the, the old devil wanted Jesus to turn those stones into bread. I want you to notice the way Jesus responded. It is written, he said. In other words, in the Bible. In the Bible. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone by physical food, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, meaning this. If God says it in this book, that's what I'm going to do, Jesus. That was his attitude. And I'm sure that's the attitude of every one of us here. We want to follow what God says, because man will not live by bread alone, but by the words that come from the very mouth of God. And you will recall that Jesus overcame Satan right there in that very experience. And of course, again, remember on the cross, in that tremendous conflict, the conflict that would seal your fate and mine one way or the other, he refused to drink alcohol on that occasion because he was in combat with the enemy of our soul. Finally, better health makes a more effective ambassador to help others for a longer period of time. I want to take you back in closing to old Babylon. We were there before, but you remember the story. Daniel was taken here in that first raid of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was brought here to the ancient city of Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 BC eventually, but Daniel was brought in one of the earlier raids. When Daniel came here, he was given a food ration. I want you to notice what the king gave Daniel and his three friends. The king appointed them a daily ration of the king's delicacies and of the food which he drank and for three years, and the wine, I should say, the food which he, let me read that again. The food which he drank, that's not right, you don't drink food, I've missed something out, sorry. The wine which he drank and the food which he ate, and for three years of training for them. So for three years, they were to live on this diet. The drink, which was wine, and the king's food, which surely wasn't the clean food, let me tell you, because the Babylonians weren't into that. They were into eating the things that are unclean. Now, I want you to notice Daniel's reaction to this uh, when he's offered this food. This is what Daniel said. When he saw all that food on the table there in the palace of the king, and that was to be his table and the table of his friends for three years, notice what Daniel said. The Bible says these words, Daniel purposed. In other words, Daniel made a decision in his heart, in his mind, that he would not defile himself. That's the word Paul used, remember? Defiling the body temple. He would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. I'm not going to drink that. It's not what the Bible says we should do, and I'm not going to eat that which the Bible says we shouldn't eat. That was Daniel's decision. Thank God he made that decision, and we'll see why. So Daniel said to the steward, now, so he made that decision, and now he goes to the man in charge of the kitchen. So Daniel said to the steward, please test your servants for 10 days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. In other words, he goes to the cook and says, listen, we don't want to eat that. It's not what we should eat as God's people. Will you give us a 10-day trial? When they first asked the, the people in charge of the kitchen, they said, nothing doing because if you eat, don't eat what we give you, the king will take our head off. But Daniel didn't give up. That's why he approached the steward. 
said, just give us 10 days to try this thing out. Just give us vegetables to eat, meaning fruits and vegetables, that sort of thing, that which is from the plant and water to drink. And at the end of 10 days, the Bible says their features appeared better and fatter in flesh. In other words, they looked healthy than all the other young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies, which included some of the Jews who didn't follow these things. So Daniel and his friends, just on 10 days of this sort of plant-based diet and just water, they looked better. Now they stayed on that for the next three years and then came examination day before the king of Babylon. And I want you to notice what happened. When the king examined them, this is what the Bible tells us. Now at the end of the days, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them and among them all, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. That's his three friends. Therefore, they served before the king because they looked better. The king said, okay, you're going to stay working for me. And in all matters of wisdom, the Bible says, and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in his realm. Thus, Daniel, it says, continued until the first year of King Darius. Now, I want to just stop and think about that. Daniel and his friends, because they chose to follow the principles of God's word and so give glory to God by what they ate and drank, these boys were smarter and they looked better than the others and so they came into the king's palace and they served Nebuchadnezzar, they served Belshazzar and they went right on into the Persian period. God was able to put these men in a place where they could influence the great leaders of the then known world. If Daniel hadn't been faithful here, let me tell you, Nebuchadnezzar probably would never have become a believer. But in the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel, after a number of experiences have happened, thanks to the fact that Daniel was right there in his palace, Daniel was able to influence him to accept the God of heaven. And this man, Nebuchadnezzar, became a believer thanks to Daniel and when you and I get to that better land when Jesus returns the second time Nebuchadnezzar will be raised from the dead in that first resurrection that we talked about yesterday because he was led to believe in God because of Daniel's faithfulness and Daniel was able to share with others now my friends this afternoon it doesn't mean that if we eat the right things and drink the right things we're never going to die because we live in a sinful world we will die Just because we eat the right things doesn't guarantee us that we'll never get sick. Of course not. But we stack the odds in our favor, which is why God has given these principles. We live in a sinful world. God wants us to live as long as possible, if it's best as, and and the best health we can for a couple of great reasons. Number one, for ourselves, but secondly, He has a purpose in your life and mine. And the longer we live, the better we can serve our great God. The more we can be able to be used of the God of heaven to help men and women find a better way of life. And this This is what happened with Daniel. These great principles were followed by these young men. These were ambassadors to prepare people for the return of Jesus Christ. And one of them will be Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now, maybe you and I have not followed these principles. Let me tell you this afternoon before we close, God is a forgiving God. Times of ignorance, 
he winks at. And when we understand these things, he forgives us for what we've done in the past in ignorance. And even if we've done it deliberately, he still forgives us if we turn our lives to him. But not only is there forgiveness with God, there is power to overcome. There is power in Jesus to get on top of these things that we know we need to discard. The Bible says they overcame him. That's Satan, the dragon, by the blood of the lamb. I want to tell you in closing that in my life, I, when I came to the time when I was wondering, is there a God? I'd mentioned that before. And I gave my life to God. One of the first things God did was direct me to these great health principles. As I read the Bible and as I began to read the things of God, I realized that I needed to change some things. But some things that I were in my life were destroying my health and I could not overcome some of them. Try as hard as I could, I could not overcome them. But one day I realized, and I mentioned it, that in Jesus Christ crucified, there was a way over these things. And I remember one habit in particular that I could not overcome that was ruining my health. And the day I said, Jesus take control of my life I accept that Christ who died let me tell you that's when God defeated that habit that was destroying my health and I want you to know that no matter what the principles are in your life that you know you need to change let me tell you there's a God in heaven who gives us tremendous power when we accept the cross of Jesus Christ all right let's have a word of prayer before we close and take a break I want us to pause for a moment of prayer and thank God for these principles let's just do that Loving Father, perhaps for some of us this afternoon, this is quite a challenge because, well, in fact, for all of us it is, because we all love eating and drinking, and sometimes in ignorance we've been eating and drinking the wrong things and maybe living the wrong way. But, Lord, when we see the Word of God, we thank you for it. We thank you that it's for our best. Please help us, Lord, to follow the ways of God. The Bible says that... The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for putting these things in the Bible. Thank you. We know they're true. We've seen the hygiene principles that Moses was given. They are true and people have just caught up with them in the last 100 or 200 years. Now we see in our world everybody in science today, many people in science are talking about the same principles that are in the Bible. We're just catching up with what God has in his word. May we be wise. May we follow the words of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.